Welcome to Hello from the Pluriverse, a podcast about sharing the stories of designers and design thinkers from different backgrounds around the world. I'm Leslie Ann Noel, a designer from Trinidad and Tobago and a professor of practice at Tulane University in New Orleans. The name of our podcast is a reference to Designs for the Pluriverse by Arturo Escobar. In our podcast, we explore the stories of designers from many different countries, women designers, designers of color, and designers from the LGBTQI community. In our interviews, we explore how place and identity affect their work, what they say about design, design thinking, and social innovation, and what advice they would give to non-designers who are using design methods. We'll continue to share more stories throughout the series about designers from many different worlds, from our little corner of the world, at the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking at Tulane University. Welcome to the Hello from the Pluriverse podcast, sponsored by the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking at Tulane University, where we discuss the work of different designers and design thinking practices. My name is Natalie Hudnick. I'm in my second year in the Master of Public Health and Maternal and Child Health program here at Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. And I'm also a design thinking graduate assistant working at the Taylor Center. I'm originally from outside St. Louis, Missouri, and I have a bachelor's degree in cultural anthropology. Today, I'm here with co-host Tawani. Tawani, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Tiwani Osini, and I'm a first year student at Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine, focusing on health communications and maternal and child health. Originally from Los Angeles, California, I obtained my bachelor's of science in healthcare administration. I'm currently a graduate administrative assistant at the Taylor Center. While she may be an engineer by trade, Dr. Christina Harrington identifies herself as a designer. She has a background in electrical engineering and industrial design and focuses her design skills and research on the areas of universal accessible design. Specifically, she has looked at how to use design and the development of assistive products for older adults and individuals with differing abilities and how to use design to center communities that have been historically been at the margins of mainstream design. Based out of Chicago, Dr. Harrington is the assistant professor in the School of Design at DePaul University and serves as a director of the Equity and Health Innovations Design Research Lab. So this interview was originally recorded in the fall of 2019. Tawani and I are here to hear what Dr. Harrington has to say about her approach to design thinking. After the recording, we'll be here to discuss our thoughts and what we learned, and hopefully it sparked some discussion for our listeners. So let's take a listen. Okay. So hi, um, welcome to the Pluriverse. My name is Tran Wen Fung. I use she, her, hers, herself pronouns. I am a design thinking fellow at the Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Social Entrepreneurship. This is a design project that focuses on the multiple perspectives of people who are considered outside of what might be mainstream design culture. Mm -hmm. The aim of this project is to broaden our perspective on design thinking by shining the spotlight on individuals that may not be as visible and having them share a little bit of their stories. So on this episode, we have Dr. Christina Harrington uh, here with us today. So hi, thank you for joining us. We're so happy hi. to have you here. Yeah, great to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. Um, so I am Christina Harrington. Uh, I also use she, her, hers um, pronouns. So thank you for starting, uh, for including that. Um, I am a designer. 
um, an engineer by trade, um, but probably more of a designer. Um, I have formal background in both electrical engineering and industrial design. Uh, I've focused for many years on the areas of universal, accessible, and inclusive design. Um, so a lot of the projects that I've worked on have looked at designing apps and assistive technology and mobile devices and wearables um, for individuals that sit kind of at the margins. Um, so those who um, are at that time typically uh, neglected in mainstream design. Um, it's interesting to say that now because I feel like more and more people are starting to move towards inclusive design and um, what it means to think about other populations when we design products and spaces and technology and interfaces. Um, I, although my background is in industrial design, right now I find myself as more of a human computer interaction researcher, some more interaction design. Um, way more looking at how people interact with technology than um, tangible products. When I first went into grad school, uh, when I first started getting my master's in industrial design, I wanted to design furniture. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that quickly changed to just looking at the design of um, assistive products that would help older adults and people with disabilities to um, be able to um, easily navigate uh, activities of daily living. So just the things that you and I take for granted, the normal activities that we use to get around, to eat, to bathe, to, to, to just do our, our normal daily tasks. Um, that has brought me to my current um, day job of uh, an assistant professor uh, in the School of Design at DePaul University. Um, and the director of the Equity and Health Innovations uh, Design Research Lab here, where we focus on design for equity. Um, so um, designing to support um, the marginalized of the marginalized. Um, so a, a, a while back, my projects started to focus on, well, how do we expand the definition of what we consider inclusive design mm -hmm. to also thinking about uh, socioeconomic class, um, income, literacy, um, community sustainability, um, or resource sustainability in certain communities. How do we incorporate those things in design and kind of shifting the ways we think about inclusive design. So the work that's coming out of the Equity and Health Innovations uh, Design Research Lab focuses a lot on that. That's awesome. I wanted to kind of ask you a question to follow up on your answer. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think or what have you observed that kind of push for this change and who we um, consider our like target consumer base because you said that like now we're moving towards more inclusive design right people that generally are not the majority um, mm -hmm. and so what do you think is the push for that for including more people I think it's amazing that we are finally finally noticing this but what yeah. has changed because we weren't doing this before unfortunately some of it is actually capitalism um, I think there are a lot of companies that have recognized the buying power of the older adult generation. So that baby boomer generation, um, because it is one of the largest generations 
right now um, that have the, the largest amount of buying power um, and what is considered to be disposable income, even though if we look at older adults um, that are lower income, that are um, more ethnic minorities, they don't have as much disposable income. But again, when we, when a lot of things talk globally, they talk about um, the majority, they talk about privileged and affluent folks. And so that population right now has some of the most disposable income and a lot of companies wanted to kind of shift or expand their product lines to include things that would meet the needs of those um, individuals because if they have buying power, then they're more likely to buy their cars. So when you think about companies like GM and, um, even to some um, some uh, product companies, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, um, but a lot of them have started to say, well, how can we design for the older population so that they'll keep buying our products? They don't age out of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have, um, on the research side, a lot of government agencies have started to acknowledge that we have a lot of problems in the ways that people are not able to go about their daily lives um, due to impairment, disability, um, chronic illness or disease for one reason or another. So I think um, computing and HCI and um, that area of design has started to catch on to say, okay, here's a way that design can solve problems. Um, and I think a lot of what, I mean, and all of it, regardless of the reason, um, it becomes a, a benefit uh, for these organizations and entities to start thinking outside of just themselves because mm -hmm. most design professionals um, are younger, have some type of college education or some type of design training um, from some type of institution or um, have done some type of um, intensive or immersive program that has taught them some type of the basics and foundations of design, but that's not who they're always designing for, right? Sometimes we're designing for people who don't have that institutional training or we're designing for um, people who are older um, or who might have differing abilities. Um, and so I think that there has kind of been this more widespread consideration of what it means to design for these folks. Um, and even how we can incorporate them in design. Um, so looking at more participatory methods, um, looking at ways to kind of expand what we consider design um, and how we reach people with it. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I'm sad to hear that, you know, the, the motivation is capitalism, but as long as I guess it produces good, mm -hmm. I guess that's something I can just deal with. Yeah. Uh, so how did you know that this was the kind of work that you wanted to do? So that you said before that your background is in engineering. So mm -hmm. when you were in school, was this something that, was this the end goal or did you no. just stumble along and like figured it out it, like along the way? I literally stumbled upon design um, and fell in love with design research. I was in school for electrical engineering at Virginia Tech. Uh, I had a couple of guy friends that were in mechanical engineering and they were taking some uh, industrial design coursework to learn how to do like sketching and ideation. And I went with them to a class one day. I was like, ah, I'm bored. I'm gonna go with you guys to class. And I just kind of fell in love with it and kind of poking my head in and seeing the studio culture that came with design. I really, really, really liked 
um, the creativity and ingenuity that kind of emerged from studio culture of people just kind of sitting in this open floor plan space and thinking and, and tacking things up on the wall and um, tossing ideas off of each other, visually getting things out. Um, so then I decided I wanted to take some of those classes and get a minor in industrial design. So I came out of Virginia Tech with a major in electrical engineering and a minor in industrial design. Um, by that, at, towards the end of my tenure in undergrad, uh, I had gotten a job for Motorola, but I kind of knew I didn't want to do that forever. I didn't want to stay there. Um, so I worked just long enough to stack up a little bit of money so I could go back to grad school. Um, and I did my master's in industrial design at North Carolina State. Um, and I've kind of just been in love with the fluidity of design ever since. Um, engineering felt much more rigid for me personally. Um, there were formulas, there were equations, there were laws, there were um, all of these things that you had to kind of abide by to say, this is a system and it's going to work. Whereas I feel like with design, you know, we can, we're so broad in, in what is a product and what is design. Um, design thinking kind of like flows over into so many different fields and disciplines. Um, you know, you, you border a lot of the humanities and psychology because some of us are interested in how people think and um, some of us are interested in how the body moves and thus how people interact with products when we're designing things that are way more physical. So we have to understand uh, anthropometrics and um, uh, bio, you know, uh, ergonomics and, and, and those types of things. Um, I think that I just kind of lucked out and found my calling in that way. Um, and never has doing design felt um, arduous or um, monotonous or tiring in terms of doing the work. Um, it's, it's always exciting. The, each project I get, it's always exciting, um, at least the execution of it. Sometimes the logistics of planning can be the logistics of planning, as, just as it sounds, but um, I always enjoy um, delving into a new design project. I'm happy to hear that. Um, yeah. How did you exactly find out about design thinking? Did it pop up in your undergrad or was it something you kind of discovered or became a bigger thing in grad school for you? Um, design thinking specifically? I don't remember. I, I want to say that even with getting that minor, even with um, I, became, I would say that that was the time that I became aware of design research. Mm -hmm. The first time I consciously remember design thinking um, was probably in the innovation studio that I took at North Carolina State. We had a studio course that was the industrial design graduate students, um, biomedical engineering students, and then MBA students. And it was a health innovation studio um, where we um, came up with the idea, prototyped, developed a project. And some students actually came out of that studio with like a patent. Um, and I think that's the first time that I heard design thinking because whenever I think about design thinking, I think about communicating design processes um, and our way of being to non-designers. And I think that that's the first time I was really engaged in understanding 
and also being a part of communicating design thinking. I think before that, I always, you know, even when I went to those classes at Virginia Tech, it was like, okay, here's what industrial design is. And here's what design research is. It's kind of the study of how we, you know, um, how people use these products and um, doing kind of um, ethnography. I really fell in love with that part of design research um, uh, and anthropology, learning about anthropology and how that's led into ethnography. But I don't think I really felt like I was doing design thinking until that innovation studio. That's at least the first memory I have of it. Mm -hmm. Has um, it grown to mean something different to you now than it, what it originally was? Or do you find yourself being more engaged with it now than before? Because it's gotten pretty popular over the years or the, yeah. the key, like it's one of those like kind of buzzer words, like design thinking. Yeah, I think now to me design thinking, um, when I hear design thinking, I think about um, corporate, like those corporate design workshops that people have to say, we want to bring somebody in to help us revisualize our space or to help us figure out why, when our product isn't reaching a certain um, target demographic. I don't think about design thinking being as much a communication or representation of um, what designers do because I think design thinking has been this thing that it's like it's like a it's like a a, a mental framework that people have a, adopted from from other areas um, to say how can we change something we're going to go through this design thinking exercise and you don't really need designers involved at all anymore um, so I, I think that it's not something that I hold as tight to, um, as much as I just consider it, um, a way of, a, a way of kind of mentally framing a project that kind of anyone can do. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, this is kind of my own personal curiosity, but like, um, do you feel that like a lot of these capabilities other people can do? Like if you just strip design thinking down and take away the jargon and all the technical terms, are these like capabilities of you know normal people who don't go through like design school or have design training they oh, can do? Yeah, definitely. Because I think when you when you pare down, like when you really like scope down design thinking, um, at its basic, it's at its basis, it's it is a process that you would go through to do anything, right? You want to understand or, or empathize. You want to um, brainstorm, ideate. I think it's when you get to the prototyping and testing and iteration that those phases um, tend to tend to require a little bit more design knowledge, but not always because um, some of the work I'm doing right now is looking at how um, kind of denizen designers or people um, embedded in their local communities are doing design work that are not institutionally trained, that, are, that have not gone to design school or undergo undergone some type of immersive. It's like, how are they doing? Like, how are they conceptualizing design? Um, even if they're not calling it design, right? Mm -hmm. But at its basis of how design is defined, they're doing design. Um, anytime you 
create something intentionally that's going to shift or change something else and have some type of outcome you're designing something whether it be a process or a product or a system um, and a lot of people are doing design and they just don't know that it's design again which is part of what i think is the beauty of the fluidity of design um, so yeah I'd, I'd, I'd have to say that i think that a lot of people can do the design process if not even if they knew about it but just a lot of people probably are doing the design process mm -hmm. so as a designer uh, what kind of advice can you give to those seeking to kind of tap into that kind of like design mindset um, to apply to something non-traditional outside of traditional design um, challenges like building furniture for example um, like moving it outside the scope of building physical things but kind of addressing something um more abstract like something like social problems mm -hmm. um to tap into what is your motivation for change um because typically that's going to spur that's going to spur. i'm sorry that's going to spark how you approach that problem um and once you start to conceptualize that change and to envision what it's going to take to do that change you'll find that you're doing design you'll find that you're designing something a pro as i mentioned a process a system a product an environment or space right like sometimes when we're dealing with social issues we're saying that these people need a physical space to come and meet or um, we need to change the way, uh, I'm not sure if you've been following what's been going on with um, the MTA uh, up in New York and how they are criminalizing people um, for uh, jumping the turnstiles or swiping other people and sharing their swipes to get people into the train. Um, but if we sit and we think and we envision, re envision what, how can we change this system such that people aren't being criminalized for two dollars and 75 cents because it's ridiculous mm -hmm. um but we know that in a city like new york the public transit system is so critical to just everyday life um, people have to use it to get to and from work to get their kids to and from school um doctor's appointment seeing friends just living and being human outside of the confines of what it means to make money and things like that how do we kind of change that system such that we're not criminalizing people such that you know and and, and if one of those is well public transit should be free um how do we change that whole process of entry and safety like that's design um and so i think it's it's really just tapping into what is your motivation of seeing change um in your community or in your workplace or um wherever it is um yeah that's really good advice. Um, I will definitely be using that from now on and thinking about that question first. Um, mm -hmm. And then so I'm going to switch over to another kind of gear and ask you this question. Um, mm -hmm. How does place and identity kind of affect the work that you do in your field specifically, like in the region of STEM, of being in the city that you're in, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera? So how does my living in chicago and you said identity what do you mean mm -hmm. by just like, um whatever components of your identity you kind of 
bring to the table in your work? How do they, oh, okay. Um, well, I think probably subconsciously, they are the driving force for what I do. Not being in Chicago necessarily. I think being in Chicago has given me a new insight to like design and people that are doing things to shift social issues. Chicago is a really huge city for that. It's an amazing city for that. It's a huge organizing city. It's a huge activist city. Um, so you have a lot of that going on and a lot of people are doing that through art or collaborative like engagement. Um, some people through design, uh, which is one of the projects that I'm working on. Um, but I think my personal identities have shifted why I got into design um, in the ways that I did, in the areas that I did to begin with. Because um, even as an engineering student, when you sit through so many classes as the one of one, um, mm -hmm. when you sit through so many classes where um, every time a certain sensitive topic is brought up, you're looked at in a certain way. Um, or if you notice that some of just the dialect that people use um, in the ways that they, they joke or um, some of the, like, the, the euphemisms are, are just like the sayings. Um, if you ever had someone come up to you and say, oh, what are you doing with the hands in your pockets? You're just standing around picking cotton. We don't realize that there are things that are now so ingrained um, in the ways that certain communities engage with other communities um, that are very harmful and that have stemmed from um, very harmful times. Um, that, you know, has always made me aware of like what it means to be the afterthought in the ways that things are designed. And I think that if we think about structurally, um, our country, like minorities have constantly been the afterthought in the ways that things are designed, um, even in the ways that we are given our own like geographic spaces, like neighborhoods, um, you know, like we're kind of even afterthoughts in the ways that a lot of neighborhoods are designed um, because our communities tend to be under-resourced. Um, the, you know, the housing project areas, the, um, the Latinx neighborhood areas, the Chinatown area, like they're always these afterthoughts. Um, and so one of the things that I have unconsciously kind of um, made, you know, has kind of become the driving motivation in my work is to kind of flip that and find ways that design can center um, those that have typically been the afterthought um, in ways that we can work with those communities and I think it also kind of starts to then um, ex have a, a, a component of exposure because if I would have known about design in high school I think that that would have been my major like the way I fell in love with design I, I, I'm pretty confident that that would have been my major but um, as you know a young black girl in a very mixed high school where I had some I had some um, guidance counselors to tell me that I probably wasn't going to go to college because of my mom's income and um, being a single, you know, growing up in a single parent, they were like, go to a community college. When they saw my scores, they were like, oh, you should be an engineer. You're good at science and math, go be an engineer. And I think that that's the way that a lot of students are pushed because design is not known about um, or not valued as much uh, right now 
or or it wasn't. I think now it's becoming more so. But um, I think that a lot of the work I do in working with the populations that I work with, it, it is a, a huge um, uh, source of exposure, to exposing people to what design is, exposing people to what human-computer interaction is. Even when I talk to my friends, um, and my research field is very acronym heavy. So when we talk about our conferences and certain areas, we're always using these acronyms that um, it's kind of our internal language and we know what they mean. But when I talk to my friends, even the ones that are in academia, but are in other fields, they're like, what is that? What does HCI mean? What is CHI? What is CSCW? So each time I have these conversations um, and I'm explaining a little bit more and more about what I do, that becomes exposure um, mm -hmm. just sharing out because then my friends are like oh i have a friend that does that type of work and she's interested she does this and you know it, it builds connections and it's, it's bridging and all these things um and so yeah i think my identity plays into it in 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 a lot of ways but mainly in that visibility that exposure that um you know kind of um working with people to put those of us who have been afterthoughts to the forefront that's amazing. I'm really happy yeah, that you're doing the work that you're doing. That's really important. Um, so I guess our last point would just be like giving you the opportunity to speak directly to the audience and share whatever you may want to share with them, or if you want to share with them. Who is the audience? <laughs> the audience, we're hoping it to be just anybody you know we really want um, design thinking and design culture to be accessible for people to understand the process and hopefully get to use it or recognize that recognize that they use it in their daily life like you said mm -hmm. um, so it's just to anybody off the street you know okay. we hope we hope so anyways yeah um, I don't know that's an interesting one I, th I think that um, if I'm talking about myself personally, design has been really, really easy to fall in love with. Um, from everything from understanding the style, the styling of, of uh, different designers that I've had the opportunity to work with or that I've looked up to in the field, um, to actually um, uh, engaging with people after they've, you know, had the opportunity to, to engage, to, to work with um, a new product or technology or system um, to see the excitement when people hear when people hear me talk about design um, is actually pretty cool. Uh, I think design is something that has become my own personal way of um, being radical and pushing back on things where I, that I feel need change um, and that's been really really exciting for me uh, so yeah, I think that design has become um, less of just a major or a, a discipline and design thinking has become less of just this, this area and more of a tool that I think um, we could use to um, shift a lot of things that need work. And there are a lot of things that need work <laughs> right now. Um, and just finding, finding the place that you're most passionate about and chipping away is kind of the the goal that I've set for myself um, as a designer. Uh, so yeah. Okay, that's, thank you for sharing. Thank you for yeah, being here. You. Okay, so thank this is the end of our interview. Okay. Yeah, so thank you for your time.
Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, hopefully you'll check us out once we get through the process of editing and putting it mm -hmm. all together. And so what is the end product going to be, the end result? Uh, it will be a podcast, hopefully. Nice. Yeah, okay. so um, my team and then uh, Leslie, we're working on learning how to use Premiere to mm -hmm. kind of edit and like paste everything together and then hopefully mm -hmm. release it online mm -hmm. soon. Okay, cool. So, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, right. have a good one. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening along with us. Now we're just going to talk a little bit about our takeaways from the interview. Tawani, how do you think place and identity impacted Dr. Harrington's work? Dr. Harrington took the experiences of not always being seen as a target audience to mend the foundation of design, of design to be applicable to all identities. Growing up in Chicago, doubt was consistently placed on her before her talents and knowledge could speak for themselves. So she chose to use design to connect and build with others in order to create a more inclusive society. Yeah, um, I, exactly. Dr. Harrington's location that she is based out of Chicago and her identity are woven into the work she does in design like you talked about. And she has also been working to use design to flip the structures that put communities as an afterthought, like neighborhood structures. And then by instead working to center these communities, they by putting them at the forefront or the forethought in design and collaboration, working not only to create change, but also to increase the exposure of design in communities where design has not been made accessible. Right, yes, I agree. So um, what did you learn from them about design, design thinking and social innovation? Yeah, Dr. Harrington talked about how design thinking at its most basic form is a process to create something. And that even if you aren't formally trained or in any way a designer at all, if you are intentionally creating something you are designing, uh, if you are intentionally creating something that is going to shift and change something else or have some type of outcome, you are designing something. Uh, this lends itself to what Dr. Harrington calls the fluidity of design. And I think this is an important thing to take away because it opens up the doors to other fields like design that may not seem accessible because you were not formally trained in the field. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I had the exact thoughts. I, I felt like it was interesting to hear the concept of design thinking be applied by people who may not be familiar with the idea, like you said. Design thinking is more than a name. It's like a mental framework that teaches us how to inclusively change or even adopt a certain something. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, so both of us are not formal designers. What advice did you take away from this episode for non-designers who are using design methods? Um, yeah, I took a lot away. I feel like in some ways I identified a lot with Dr. Harrington, especially as someone who is passionate about social change and equitable access. Um, this conversation really helped me apply design thinking into everything I take for granted. And like she said, things like the facilities I can easily enter, applications that I use on my phone to aid in daily tasks, they need to be accessible to not only me, but to everyone. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good thing that you took away that I didn't think of at first, but that's definitely a really good point. Um, one piece of advice I took away is that you have to have motivation for change because that's going to guide you to how you're going to approach that problem. I feel like this is great advice because if we aren't invested in any way or have a motivation to change something or to create a solution, we aren't going to be able to put our best energy and thoughts into approaching the problem from the beginning. Motivation drives so much and it needs to be with non-designers as they use design methods because that will help them use the design process to get an outcome that could make the most impact. Definitely, yeah, definitely agree. Um, so with everything that we heard from Dr. Harrington, was there anything that they said that surprised you or something that you didn't agree with or even something that inspired you? 
Yeah. Dr. Harrington talked about design thinking. Uh, when she was talking about design thinking, she mentioned how you don't really need designers involved in the design thinking process. And instead it becomes a mental framework that corporations, companies, and anyone who wants to change something to use as a process to make that change. And I think this is surprising because the way that Dr. Harrington talks about this makes it sound like design thinking itself has almost been co-opted entirely by non-designers and then just doesn't include designers in the process. Uh, so that's why I found it a little bit surprising based on some of the other designers that we've heard from in this series. What about you? Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that. I feel like um, Dr. Harrington's journey um, from her not really thinking of design thinking when she first thought about her career goals, um, it really inspired me to look for design thinking outside of my preferred industry, which is public health. And I feel like this is because the framework of design thinking can be adopted and transformed in so many different ways that can be applicable to many industries. Yeah. That's a good point that I didn't address, but that's certainly true because I feel like we use design thinking all the time in public health and we just don't realize it. Right. Uh, was there anything you wanted to learn more about? And if you could ask Dr. Harrington another question, what would it be? Um, so like I said earlier, I really loved hearing about her journey to design and design thinking. Um, but I really would love to hear more about the specific projects that she's been working on and specifically about how she used it, how she uses design and design thinking in her projects to collaborate with others, because like I said, I would love to hear about how to, you know, learn from people in different industries and how to apply their ways of design thinking to public health. Uh, yeah, those. Um, yes, that's one thing I was really wanting to also learn more about. Um, and I think I would have loved to hear about um, her brainstorming informational sessions with the design thinking process. Um, I can only imagine that her various ideas and avenues one can take make narrowing a project's focus a bit difficult. Um, and I wonder if there's another framework that aids with design thinking to help you finalize a process in our framework. But what do you think, listener? Please feel free to check out our website and let us know what you thought about the episode in the comments. We hope you enjoyed this interview from our Hello from the Pluriverse series. A special thank you to Arturo Escobar, the author of Designs for the Pluriverse, for opening the space for conversations about pluriversality in design. Many thanks as well to all of our interviewees, our design thinking student team, Ruby, Lupe, Delaney, Tran, and Wissal, the students of the Fall 2019 SICE 3010 class, Levante, Lucas, our editor, and the rest of the team at the Taylor Center at Tulane. If you have any suggestions for our program, please email your comments, suggestions, and questions to taylor at tulane.edu. And also you can visit our website at taylor.tulane.edu.